Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. I know there are lots, lots to talk about with carols. Um, I listen to carols all year long, not just Christmas. So <laughs> I understand. Salam Kobi Hoshamadi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good morning, everyone. As Ellie said, uh, my name is Amy Tan. Um, I am quite new at Gastric, about five and a half. Uh, my, I was about to say five and a half years, five and a half months now. And uh, I'm originally from Malaysia, moved to the country with my husband and son. Ooh, yeah, he's very proud. <laughs> proud husband. Uh, we moved to the UK seven years ago. Um, wow, so today um, I'm really excited because um, it, it, this is my first time preaching at Gas Street Central. It's very exciting. And um, it's also a milestone for me because this is my, I think, my fifth time preaching ever. <laughs> so this is really exciting. A bit nerve wracking as well. So uh, pray for me. But <laughs> thanks, Rach. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to be preaching to all of you about. Advent. Now, Advent, because it's December, is the Christmas month. And for those of you who don't know what Advent is, Advent, if it's going to come out here, Advent season is a four-week period. So Advent, Advent, Yani Miyayat. Advent season is a four-week period before Christmas that celebrates the anticipation of and coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The origin of Advent is from the Latin word Adventus, which simply translates as coming or arrival. Now, during Advent, Christians reflect on the significance of the birth of Jesus and look forward to the second coming of Christ. The season is characterized by a sense of anticipation, hope, and spiritual preparation. So today, I'm going to focus on the first arrival, which is the arrival of the baby Jesus. Now, speaking of arrivals, how many have you... How many of you have watched the former Manchester United footballer David Beckham's Netflix documentary? Now, oh, all right, okay, a few, a few, all right. Um, so I am 39 years old, which means that I, I followed his career. I grew up during the David Beckham era. And uh, so, yeah, so that's David Beckham. And I was also a massive... Spice Girls fan, if you guys remember Spice Girls. No, not so, not, not, not. okay, anyway. <laughs> so that's Posh and Bex, as what you were known. Um, so I, watching the documentary was really nostalgic for me. I remember so many things, but what I completely forgot was how obsessive his fandom was. It means all the fans that he had from Europe to Asia, wherever he was, wherever he arrived, it was, it was just pandemonium. You would have people just screaming and crying, like really full-on ugly cries, as, as the Gen Z say. It was, it was like, wow, it, it was mind-blowing just watching it. It was so fascinating. Now, you might not be 
a David Beckham or, or Porsche Spice fan, but there are so many like singers of today, especially singers, especially because I, I, I follow a lot of singers, um, who have that kind of same reaction every time they arrive anywhere. Uh, so for example, if, uh, do you guys remember this? Anyone? born in that area? Well, I, I wasn't born in the 1960s, but I watched videos of the Beatles where they, they had their fans and oh wow, it was pandemonium as well. Uh, anyone part of the Beehive? Hey, hey yes. Any Swifties? Swifties? <laughs> yeah. Any K-pop fans like me, like BTS? Come on, BTS army. Ooh, yeah, I see some of you there, yes. And what about this one? I like this one. Oh, who's that? Who's that? Gugush. Gugush, if you don't know Gugush, she's a really famous Iranian singer. She came to Malaysia as well, and she, she's got lots of fans in Malaysia. Oh, she's great. I want to sing her song now, but I'm scared. <laughs> no, it's a, how, how does it go? It can, can help me, help me. Be'egeshto. <laughs> no, that's not, that was not great, not great. <laughs> oh gosh, all oh, right. <laughs> My parents are watching back home, they're probably like, oh gosh. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> oh, I love that, you guys are so supportive. All right, anyway, back to this. So arrivals, well, there are lots of people who've got, who've, who, who really just admire a lot of the celebrities, like the singers that I mentioned. And, and it's fascinating, it's fascinating, but it, it also slightly confuses me sometimes because although I, I, I do love some of these people, but when I see how some fans react to them, remember I mentioned the ugly cry, I, I, I question, it's like, as if, these people have the power to, to, to do things like cure illness, like high cholesterol or back pain or something like that. Or, or like an encounter with them will magically make a million pounds appear in your bank account. It's like, oh, I need to see you, feel you, touch you. That sort of response. And I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, but I, I just think it's so fascinating. But can you imagine living in a time where there was a rival of such a person, that that person was going to grow up to be the savior of the world. He was going to heal. He was going to raise the dead. And he was going to do so many amazing things. He was going to be the Prince of Peace. Now, if we read in Isaiah 9 verse 6, years, centuries before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah prophesied, for to us, a child is born, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wow. Jesus was born in human form to become the Messiah. He was fully human and fully God. Because his mother Mary was chosen by God the Father to conceive him, and she was a virgin. So this was a divine conception. Jesus had a purpose to come to earth. And we read in the New Testament all the purposes that were carried out. There's so many 
He did amazing things. Now, what does Jesus' arrival mean for us thousands of, uh, a few thousand of years later, 2,000, sorry, 2,000 years later? What does it mean? Firstly, now Jesus was light in the darkness and he still is light in the darkness. And that is the story of Advent. John 1 verse 4 to 5 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus' light in the darkness, nor dar tariki. Now, Jesus' birth is a divine illumination breaking into our world's darkness. His life is the light that dispels the shadow of sin and despair. The contrast between light and darkness is a powerful symbolic language used to convey the transformative and revealing nature of Jesus' presence and teachings in the lives of all who believe in Him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, when I was studying theology at Oxford, one of the areas that I was really fascinated by was in the area of black theology or African-American theology. I really loved it. What I loved about it was the fact that Jesus bringing light into darkness also meant that he came to earth to liberate the oppressed. He set the captives free. He came to save and fight for those who are experiencing injustices. He preached about caring for the, the marginalized and the outcasts and the sick and the imprisoned. So many. Matthew 25 verse 40, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's Jesus' light in the darkness. Now, secondly, what does his arrival mean for us? Transformation through light. Tawasoti nor should they asked. Jesus' transformation through light. Ephesians, sorry, not Ephesians. Shall we go to um, John 8 verse 12? When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then Ephesians 5 verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And the birth of Jesus isn't just a one-off historical event. It wasn't just about him coming and then that was it. He just wanted to show off and be worshipped. No, it is a transformative moment, which means that we walk in the light of Christ. It means we are called to live differently. His birth is meant to be a catalyst for positive change in our lives, guiding our steps to the paths of righteousness. As we know in the song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now am found, was blind, but now I see. That's it. 
Jesus' transformation. You know, Jesus' light is not just for people who have never experienced the light before. There's, there's this misconception that you can only enter his light once and you stay in it forever. And, and, and while it's great that that happens, but the, 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 the reality is that because of sin, there is that temptation to walk away from that light. But that doesn't mean that that's the end of it. Because in Luke 15, 11 to 32, Jesus spoke about the parable of the prodigal son. Now a son who left his father's home, he asked for all the inheritance and then he left the home and he squandered all his wealth away until one day a famine strike and the son was just so remorseful and said, you know what, I need to go back to my father and ask him for forgiveness. And then when he went back to the father, what did the father do? He welcomed the son with open arms and he threw a massive party. And that's Jesus. He, because of the fact that he came down and he died on the cross for our sins, we can be forgiven again and again and again. He extends that grace and mercy throughout the generations forever and ever. Amen. That's Jesus. So obviously God will not be, be mocked. It's, it's not like we can go out and freely sin with, with, without, without any... We're just so intentional about wanting to sin because we know that God is going to forgive us because there are consequences to sin. There are. But when we have Jesus in our lives, we know that in our weakness, He will be strong and in our weakness, His grace will be there for us to carry us. Now, finally, what does Jesus' arrival mean for us? It, it means that we need to share this light. We need to share this light. No rabbi ashtarak baksarit. Share his light. Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus' birth grants us a call to share His light. We are not meant to hide it. We're meant to share it because He is the light of the world. I think some worship leader at some point wrote this song, Light of the World, You Step Down Into Darkness or something like that. You heard that one, Tim? Good one, eh? Light of the world, he stepped down into darkness. So Jesus coming as light didn't just end there. I, I love what the Reverend George Pitcher says. The point of light in darkness is not to admire its own illumination, but to ignite light in others. If we know that there is a living God who loves us unconditionally, who cares for us, there's no love like His love. Why do we want to keep it a secret? You know, at Gas Street, our mandate from the very beginning was to be light for the city. We're called to gather and scatter, which essentially means we are meant to tell as many people 
about Jesus Christ as much as we can. You know, I've come, I've come across people who, who tell me, like, you know, Amy, it, it, we live in a free country, right, England? Anybody who wants to know about Jesus can just walk into a church, can go online. We learn about Christianity and religious education at school. Like, why, why? We don't really have to put in the effort. But is, is that the truth, though? Or is that somewhat an ignorant way of thinking. Because for example, I, I come from a country where it is actually dangerous for some groups of people to become Christians or even hear about Jesus. And for some, it comes at a massive cost. Because for a lot of our cultures, one of the best ways to honor our parents is to follow their religion. If not, there will be serious consequences. But you say, well, that's your country. Well, no, because a lot of those cultures exist in this city itself, in Birmingham. And we, need, we can't be blinded to the fact that everyone has the same privilege and access and liberties to knowing Jesus. No. So we are to wisely, wisely and, and, and just, just gently tell people about this Jesus. And we talk about RE, do they actually talk about personal testimonies in RE? I mean, I, I personally didn't grow up in this country. I don't know, but from my knowledge, it's, they're just facts about who Jesus is, but they're not personal testimonies. They're not stories about transformation. And that's why it's so important that we practice radical inclusion, which means that we really go the extra mile to reach out and to love people. Now, I remember a very distinct moment in my life where um, God was teaching me a, a really good lesson about radical inclusion. So I was 21 years old quite some time ago. I had just completed my business degree from a good university and, and did well. And, and I managed to secure a job at uh, one of the big four global consulting firms. So I was like, wow, the Asian dream, I did it. Yeah, like if you, if you know what I mean, it's like, woo, climb the corporate ladder. It means that my parents would tell all my relatives, my uncles, my aunties, my cousins, the neighbors, the dogs, everyone. It was, it was a moment of like, yes, yes, you've made it. Like, it can only get better once you get right to the top of the company. So I remember, I remember my first day, um, I, would, I wore a, 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 like a power suit, a blazer, a, a, a nice office skirt. I had heels, nice handbag in one hand, laptop in the other. And I walked in the, in the very busy financial district in Kuala Lumpur. And I remember the first day was so great. I met so many people. I met the top executives, the CEO, the CFO. And I was thinking, I'm going to get to your place one day. And I was like, oh, this is such, this is such a great day. I, I, I made it. I made it. And I remember when I, I left the building, I left this tall sky, my company I occupied the entire skyscraper, went down many floors in, in, in the elevator, so chuffed. And then when I reached the, the ground floor and uh, my husband was then, my fiance was waiting for me in the car. And, and just as I was about to arrive in the car, 
I saw an elderly Chinese woman just crouched on the ground and she was just begging for money. She had a bowl in her hand and she was crouched. She's, she was about 70 plus years old. And I remember, I didn't even think for a second. I just threw everything on the ground. And in my nice skirt, I just crouched in front of her. And I said in Cantonese, Popo, you son yeso. Popo, yeso ho oine. I said, Grandma, you need to believe in Jesus. Jesus loves you so much. And then I gave her some money and then I, I took my things and I went into the car and I just wept and wept. And God taught me such a valuable lesson at that time, which is, it's no point to have all our privileges, our power and influence, but we're not loving people the way God is asking and expecting us to love. We're not loving people into the family of Christ because what can be better than being under the Lordship of the living Saviour? That was such a lesson for me. Radical inclusion. Because that was not something anyone would have done in that moment. No, I couldn't have changed the trajectory of, of that grandma's life that day. But I prayed that I had planted a seed that would help her one day when she left earth. She would have no more suffering, no more poverty, but she'll be living under the care and under, in the loving arms of the Savior. And sometimes that's the best thing that we can do for someone, especially if we only have a few moments with them, just sharing the story of the gospel. Oh, you might think, wow, that's tough. That's tough, but we're all in this together. We've got something planned in the next term. I'm not going to spoil it, but we are in this journey with you. John 15, 13 says, God, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's Jesus. That's what he did for us. So we're called to share that light. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I've, I've been experiencing one of the most challenging, challenging times in my life, just stretched in so many areas. And just last week, I was speaking to a spiritual mentor, and, and at the end of, of the conversation, she said, you know, Amy, you've, you've been talking about this calling or that calling that God gave to you, but do you know what your number one calling is as a Christian? And without hesitation, I said, to be a child of God, to be sitting at His feet and just spending time with Him. You see, that's the thing. That's the gift that we have. Because we might be going through all kinds of things. We have a health crisis. You're still a child of God. You have a family or relationship crisis. You're still a child of God. You just lost your job. You're still a child of God. Because in Romans 8, 38, 39, it says, For I am convinced 
that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody say amen. Come on, that is the gift that we have as Christians. Wow. Oh my, you might think, oh, Amy, oh, I, I'm, I'm just so far from that. I've lived in darkness for far too long. Maybe you think that way. Now, I want to just end, and if, if the musicians can just come, I want to end with um, a story. Now, I, I mentioned just now that there's nothing more powerful than telling your own story about how God transformed you. Now, I, I, I mentioned that I grew up in Malaysia. Um, my parents founded a, a Methodist church in 1980, and I was born in 1984, which means that I grew up with the church. And um, up to about, well, when we left seven years ago, that it grew to be about 5,000 strong. And then I, I was in the worship team for 20 over years, and, and, and I led worship for the last 10 years before I moved here. So people knew who I was by virtue of who my parents were and me growing up to church and, 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 and me being in the worship team as well. So um, I spent many of my teenage years wanting to be a singer. And I, I really did become a singer eventually. After I finished my, after two years of being in that corporate job, I decided, nah, 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 I'm not, I don't feel fulfilled. So I said, I'm going to quit my job to become a singer. And I did. So I started um, at the weddings. I started at private, singing at private functions. I, I did radio and television commercials and, and, and all of that. So I did that for a good 10 years. And then after that, somewhere around 2016, I remember just thinking to myself, oh, this is not enough. I'm not satisfied. I want to be more famous. I want to be more liked and admired and, and, and achieve all of that, that glamour and glory. And a bit, a bit of um, background to that, uh, why I was so motivated to, to, to achieve that was because I grew up really different from a lot of people. I had ADHD. Um, at that time, I didn't know I had it. But in, in, in Asian culture, children are meant to be seen, not heard. And so if you know kids with ADHD, like we, we love to be heard. <laughs> we loved. <laughs> and so it, it was hard. I grew up with being really different. And um, I, just, I just struggled. I struggled. I had like deep insecurities and just really, really low self-esteem. So when that opportunity came to, to be signed to a record label, to be a recording artist, I, I, I did that. So that's, that was me in 2016. And that song that I wrote, Can You See Me Now? That's a, a song about a breakup with a guy, so Taylor Swift. So I did that. And I remember like I finally achieved all of that and, and was so, just so into all that, that came with, with the fame and, and all. And then, and then but... The thing with Asian culture, if you understand it, that it takes a village to raise a child, but sometimes the child doesn't want the village to get so involved. And that was, that was my story. I, I slowly started to hear murmurs and people saying, 
you know, Amy, what you're doing is not right. Some of the career choices you're making is not right. And well, very well-meaning people. But I got so angry. I said, no, I, I don't want to have anything to do with, with, with this. I, I spent so much of my life just being compliant and following what people told me to do. And so I left the church. I left the church. I cut off from all the people who love me. I even cut off from my family. I only had my husband and my son, and who was only three at that time. And, and I had the music industry. I had people in the entertainment world. And then as you know, when you cut off all of that, you essentially lose accountability. And so what I did was I just went deep into that world got into alcohol, almost got into drugs, swore like a sailor, just did. So I was partying every other night until 7 a.m. I got into really unhealthy relationships, all while being already married and with a child. And with the life that I was leading, I was thinking, oh my gosh, like I'm such in so much darkness. God probably probably doesn't want me back. You know, that was the the... the the, the reality of how I, I felt at that time. And I was thinking, oh, people are going to not welcome me back if I were to come back to church or to reconcile with my family. Nobody. And then one day, I remember I was alone at home and I heard the voice of God. He said, I'm still here. I'm still here. And I remember just weeping and weeping because the honest truth was that I was feeling so, so not happy at all. I knew that I was not at peace, that there was something greatly missing in my life. And then not too long after that, something awful happened and I just woke up from my stupor. And then long story short, went through just reconciliation with church leaders and family. And then I remember the first day I went back into church. Oh my goodness, like so ashamed, you know, see of thousands of people, they knew how, how publicly I had fallen away. I remember walking in, my head hung low. And when I finally decided to lift my head up, the first person that I saw was my father with his arms outstretched. The prodigal child had returned home. And that was a moment when God was telling me, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And then a few months later, after all the counselling and reconciliation, God opened the door for us to move to the UK. Forward seven years later, that same person who was so ashamed, was ordained June 2023 as Reverend Amy Tan, and she's right now here preaching to you at Gas Street Church, Birmingham. Now, isn't God great? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No matter how far, how deep you have fallen, no matter how deep you are in that pit of darkness and you can't see anything, reaches out his hand and grabs you and pulls you out and that is Jesus I want us all to just 
stand right now as we just come to close. Now this Advent, let it be not just about all the Christmas trees and Santa Claus and all of that, but let it be about the true meaning of Christmas, which is the coming, the arrival of Jesus Christ, light of the world, came here to transform. And we're going to just pray this prayer even as we come and accept His love. Come, let's say it together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you know me and love me completely. I know I have made mistakes and now I ask for your total forgiveness. I turn away from everything I know is wrong. Today, I choose to put my faith in you and say yes to following you. Please come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit now. Amen. Now with all eyes closed, all head bowed. Now maybe that was the first time you had ever seen a prayer like that. And that you really want to mean it in your heart. Just that very prayer to accept Jesus into your heart. You know, the life of a Christian is not without problems. You know, we are not promised that all our problems will fade away. But it means that there is a God who will walk with us constantly. And sometimes He will even carry us. And so if that's you and that that's the first time that you're saying yes to Jesus, come into my life. I want a relationship with you. And I counted three. I want you to raise your hands. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, anyone else? You want to see? We're going to get our hello and welcome team to give you a little something. And it's also just a sign of saying, yes, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website gastric.org or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.